Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the book of Genesis, and um, it brings so many things to light. I hope this morning that we will see even more so the the value of studying this um, ancient text. And so if you would just pray with me as we begin this morning. Father, we just ask that you give us understanding. Lord, that we would see that you are our Lord and our Creator. That you are the sustainer of all. That you created us for a purpose, and yet, after the fall, everything was broken. And yet, we don't just see you as our Creator today, we see you as our Redeemer. And I just pray that we would see both of those truths today. That we would um, just be overwhelmed with joy as we think about the greatness of who you are and what you've done for us. And our lives would be... um, a reflection of worship and praise and rest in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we start this morning, just want to remind you, we look back in Genesis and is, is what we've studied so far, and we said there were two major sections. They were um, the four major events in Genesis 1-11. through 11, We have creation, the fall, the flood, and the nations. And then in patriarchal history, as we look at that kind of section, we see four key people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so right now, as we're looking in the text, we, we looked maybe the, the next week as we're studying, we looked at God and we tried to say, although He's incomprehensible, we can't understand Him fully, the Scripture presents much about God and we saw His greatness and the grandeur of God and, and we see that in just enormous ways. And one of the ways that we said we would, we would interpret who God is is by one of the catechism questions who, that speaks of God. And I'll just mention it in this way. Our our triune God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Then we looked at the next week and we said, okay, this is who God is. Now, how does His creation reflect that? And so we spent time seeing His creation and we were able to glimpse into some of His character and seeing it on display as Romans 1 says, His invisible attributes are on display through creation and we notice that this week we're looking after looking at the six days of creation today we'll look at the seventh day and the seventh day is a very unique day and so we're going to kind of spend time unpacking that day trying to understand it and I just wrote a statement I think maybe is helpful as we get started and you can just listen to this it says we enter into God's rest by faith in Christ and we seek to grow in rest until we finally experience his rest in the age to come now I think that's important because we are trying to ask the question, what does it mean to experience that with God? Now, there's a couple of questions that kind of come to mind this morning. The one is, why is God able to rest? And what does that mean for us? I mean, ultimately, what did it initially mean in, in the created order for us to be and experience in God's rest? The next one would be, how do we lose that rest and how can we return to the rest that God intended us to have? And the third question I would ask is, how should we live today in light of this theme of rest? And so hopefully we'll answer all that as we get started and and as we look at this text um, together. So you're in Genesis chapter 2 and we'll begin there. And as you're thinking about that, the first question that kind of comes to mind is, when God stops the seventh day, as we come to that place, the question is, uh, why is God able to rest in this moment? And, and of course, I mean, I heard the discussion, some of you have read the study guide, and we know that when we start here, and we're looking at Genesis 2, and it says that God finished all the work that He done, has done 
and he rested from all his work. We come to the kind of the idea here, and of course we talked about that, even in us, sometimes when you work really hard one day, you're extremely exhausted, and maybe your first inclination is to think that God was tired, but we know that that's not true. The Scripture teaches that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That means He extends Himself out and He never loses any of His strength. He is all-powerful. He, he's infinite in His power. There's no like, uh, when He releases energy to do something, He's not like weakened from that. And so we understand that to be true. So God wasn't tired here. And it's not that God has like, stopped being active in His world. When we look at this text, the Scripture tells us that God is providentially working in His world. Now what does that mean? It means that He is, um, well, one catechism question says, it's His holy, wise, and powerful acts by which He preserves and governs all His creatures and all their actions. God is still working in His world. And He's preserving all of His creatures and all of, uh, and He's overseeing all of their actions. We understand that to be true. And so I think that's important to note because we say, well, what's going on here? God is resting. But what, what's really taking place? Well, it may be best to say that God has finished the work of His creation. That means when God does it, it's done. It's complete in every single way. Now, have y'all ever had a bad haircut? Anybody here? And when someone finished, you think, good night, you have not finished this creation. Whatever they turned it into was something wild. My mom used to joke with me and say, or joke with us, say, well, the difference, especially for a guy, it's about two weeks. You know, it's just going to grow out. There's no, you know, unless you're a guy with like really long, crazy hair. But anyway, but normal guys, you know, just, you know, I'm just joking. But anyway, when, when you think about that, it's kind of, it's never, you kind of sense in, when we're thinking about this idea of completeness, maybe that's one of those things where you think, well, sometimes somebody messes up. Uh, have you ever put together something at your house and as you're putting it together, you end up with all these screws and all kinds of stuff, and you think, good night. I don't think the job is really completed. I mean, I, I think of a lot of different things like that. I, I've watched some shows where surgeons, they, they say like they're doing documentaries on a surgeon that left a tool inside somebody. And so they sew them up, and you think, oh, they're complete with the surgery, and everything's done. But all of a sudden, like inside, there's this infection started because there's all kinds of stuff left inside people. There's a lot of different things that go on in our world where we think, hmm, that's not really complete. And uh, I was thinking too, if you're a builder and you're building a house and you don't put the proper stuff in, the stock, proper boards and all that kind of stuff, eventually uh, the house is going to crumble. And so, I mean, we think about in our world, we see a lot of things that are not really finished. And most of us probably leave our work week thinking we are not really done. Our job is never done. Sometimes even in ministry for me, I think about completion and you never feel that way. Unless you kind of, until somebody is, is really, ultimately, you're kind of taking them and you're doing their final service and you're saying they've passed on from this life, that's when you really think a disciple has finished the race. And so sometimes we never feel complete. But when God is there and He says He is resting from His labor, it is complete. He's not messed it up. He has done it in its completeness. Everything is complete. He is all wise and He has thought of everything. Nothing is left out. And so I think at the heart of this, we are seeing God in this way, understanding as a perfect creation that was very good. Now, there's a sense in which when we think about that, and I think it's important for us to note, is, is kind of um, in our lives when we feel really restless. And, and, I, and I do this, I feel very restless. I heard Paul Ty was talking about re earlier, like 
he puts a little notepad by his bed and he writes down all the things he needs to do. And sometimes he'll wake up in the middle of the night and write down all the different things he's supposed to do. And I, and I think for us often, we find ourselves kind of struggling with that and saying, I don't ever feel like I can rest. And it's a restless world that I live in. And so we're going to have to kind of ask a question this morning. And, and I think it's important to ask, why is it that we feel that way? And was it Adam and Eve when they were really, the picture is, is on the seventh day God rested and it's complete. And so they're in this world that God is resting in, in a complete world, in a good world. It's a world really where there's joy in it. Everything is blessed. It is a place of blessing and completeness and in a place of unity. And they are resting. They're in a state of beautiful things. But you and I don't find ourselves there. A lot of times when we are, we are thinking about our lives and our world, it is a restless place to live. So the kind of the question is, and I think it's important to, to, to ask this, how, how do we get back to rest? When we look at our world and think, man, it's so restless, how are you and I going to experience rest? And that's not an easy thing to tackle. Because we kind of ask the question of like, what happened to us? What happened that caused us not to live in a world that's complete and filled with joy and experiencing in the fullness the rest of God? Now, we want to go there and we're going to think about that. And I want you to think about in, in, in this clearly in Genesis chapter 3, when we're thinking about the text where Adam and Eve ultimately, they take of the fruit and they eat, we see that at that moment they sin. And when sin entered the world, restlessness came with that. There was not a complete world. It was a world tainted now by sin. And that's kind of the case that we find ourselves in. Man is outside of the garden, outside of rest, outside of the presence of God. They are not experiencing all that God intended life to be. Now, <clears throat> but what did God do? Because we kind of have to take a picture of all this to understand our condition. What did God do? God made a promise that He would bring and restore rest. And we see that all the way through. All ultimately, when we get to Abraham, he is going to promise rest. He is going to promise blessing. He is going to promise a restoration of order and life with him. And that's where we see in this text, really, God is resting. Man is created in a place where it's restful, but then he is cast out of rest, cast out of the presence of God, cast out of blessing, and now we're asking the question, will God do something about our restlessness? What will God do? Now, what we see God do is that He chooses a man, Abraham, and promises to bless him. And He grows His family into this large family. And He literally, they're living in Egypt and they're crying out for a time where God will bring them into the promised land, bring them into the blessing that He promised. And as they're crying out for that, God answers them and He takes them out of Egypt where they're in bondage and takes them into the promised land. And when He does on the way, as they're going along though, this is what we find out. They're looking up and they get outside of Egypt and they're getting thirsty and they grumble at God and they get hungry and they grumble a little bit more at God. And we see a lot of different things taking place in their time period as they are kind of getting to that place where God's saying, I'm going to lead you into rest. Ultimately, you know what they do? They spend some time there, ultimately like for 40 years, because they get to a point where they say, I am not going to go into the promised land. Really what they do is they send some some spies in, they send a dozen spies in, ten of them come back and say, man, that place is all God said, but it is, it is filled with giants. 
And those ten convince the people and the people say, we're not going to enter into the land of promise. We're not going to enter into what God has called us to. We're not going to trust God in what He said that He will do. And as a result, they have to spend this time period where all this whole generation has to die off so God can raise up people who who will enter into His rest. So I say that to say, turn to Hebrews 3. And I want you to get that in your mind because we're trying to say, how are we going to return back to rest? How are we going to experience the rest that God intended for us to have? What's the answer for that? Because we see that we live in this restless world and we sense that in our own hearts. How do we answer that question? So look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And I think this text is really helpful for what we are trying to get at here. The Scripture says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put Me to the test and saw My works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known My ways. As I swore in My wrath, they shall not enter My rest. Now, What's he saying? He's saying this, these children of Israel, they were about to enter into this rest again. They are Eden in a sense. They are to enter into it. And yet they rebel against God in an act of unbelief. Notice what he says though. Now he's speaking to people who are in the place that we're in. He's speaking to people who have, who have lived in lie to understand that Jesus went to the cross to bring rest. And he says, take care brothers lest there be any of you, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Now, I want you to see that because, listen to me, all of us are at, there is that restlessness on this earth and we're thinking and wondering and pondering all these things. And he is saying, look, don't be unbelieving. Do not, not trust God for the rest that He promised, for the, for the joy of living life with Him. Trust Him. God has provided His Son. Trust Him. And He's saying, don't do like those people of old. And don't go away from the things of God. Trust what God has done in Christ. Now, I want you to look at Hebrews 4, 1, because we're just going to kind of move through this text just for a moment. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. What's he saying? You better listen. You better listen to rest. You better listen to what God has promised us. Verse 9. Go down because I want you to see. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall away by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 12. Now notice what it says. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him 
to whom we must give an account. It's important to see this. Just get that just for a moment. We're saying God has rested from His labor. God has completely made creation and He can rest. He created the order to the world. It was good. It was blessing. And then man sinned and there's a loss of rest for us. But then God is saying, I'm going to restore rest. And we see that there's people that God was about to lead into this rest. They rebel against Him. And what is he saying now? Now that you've heard the gospel message, now that you've heard this message of finding rest in God and finding completeness in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, do not abandon that. You walk forward with Him, trusting Christ, living in light of Him, living a life of obedience to Him, walking in the power that He has given us. Have you ever struggled with that? Have you ever been tempted to turn away from Christ? Are, are, are you tempted every day to not embrace Christ as the greatest treasure? To not live for Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you tempted today to even sometimes say, you know what, I really want to try to be good enough for God. I'm going to try this on my own. And you don't want to rest in Jesus' finished work. Is there a temptation step by step, day after day, to live outside of Christ? And the answer is, of course there is. We need to be reminded of the truth of God. We must hope in Christ so that we can be restored back to God, so that we can have right standing before God. We have to trust in what Jesus did on the cross for us. That is where rest is found. There are people out there seeking to find rest in so many different things. Our whole world, if you read the newspaper or watch the news, it's all about finding kind of peace within. Or maybe if you go to this peaceful spot. Or maybe if you experience it here and here. And we have all these things. If I could create my world to be like this, I would be at rest. But the reality is, is the Scripture teaches that rest is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So we're trying to answer that now and and ask this question. I think it's real important to ask. What does that mean for us? Is it really application-based here? What would that mean for us to live a life pursuing the theme of rest? What does it mean for us to really pursue that with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength? What does it mean to seek to enter into it? Now we have to kind of start with this, and I think it's just important to say, Because I think we have to ask the question of Sabbath this morning. What is the Sabbath? What does it mean? Because there's a lot of discussion about that. What does it mean that God would even create a day to think about that theme? What what, what does it mean for us right now where we're sitting and where we're standing? Now there's a sense in which He's driving us back to this, this reality and you see it picked up in Scripture. So I want you to turn somewhere with me. Just one more text here in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Because again, we're trying to to, to see how does that mean that we live if we believe that God has created us to rest in Him and to walk with Him and to experience the blessing of living with Him. How do we see that? So turn to Exodus 20. And I want you to see it because I think it's important to, to, to think this through as we're moving ahead. In Exodus 28 through 11, The Scripture says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What's he talking about? He is saying, you are my people. I'm setting apart a day for you to think about the Lord, to to, to think about your relationship with Him. It emphasizes creation as the pattern that God works six days and on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Now we would say, it seems to be that what God is saying is we were designed to work six days and on the seventh day to rest. Sometimes I think about that, and and certainly there's people who have physical disabilities and there's people that haven't been able to find a job in this market, and there's all different kinds of things, but the idea of an active and productive life is something we should think seriously about. God created us to do something with our lives. Not to set aside and do nothing with our lives. It is not the goal. Of, our goal should not be, how can I get to a point where I do nothing? How can I get to a point where I'm just a waste, a waste of, of matter on this earth? I mean, that that's not, should not be our question. Our question should be, how could we be used for God's glory and work to His glory? He created us for work, but He also created us to rest. I think the pattern that we see throughout Scripture is that six-day and seventh-day rest because I think it is important. We need to understand that and grasp that and see that God designed it in that way. I think sometimes we as natural men think if I could have one more day, and we say it all the time, if I could just have one more day during the week to get things done, then I could kind of be at that point. But God designed us to have the sixth day, I think, and the seventh day rest. Now, I want to read another passage from Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there, but I just want you to hear this. When he speaks, he repeats this Sabbath day thing in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, what does that mean? I think what he's saying is, The Sabbath day was not only to look back to God as Creator, but also to look back to God as Redeemer, as Savior who's rescued us. And I think that's important to note because with Israel, His chosen people, He wants them to be reminded God created and sustains you and God saved you. And we need to see that, I think, in this text. Now, so what do we do with that information? What do we do? We say God is at rest with what He created. Man sinned and lost rest. God promised in Christ to restore our rest. Now, we still have to ask the question, so what does that mean in our daily week? How do we live in light of that? I think some of the things to say is this, and I'm just going to give you some some thoughts that I think are really helpful in this. God designed the model of work and rest, and it seems wise for us to set aside a day for worship and rest. The interesting thing is, though, that the New Testament doesn't just press this upon you. It doesn't just say, hey, you can." it's not like with Israel. It's a little bit different because they started to meet on the first day. And they spent that day, certainly the the church kind of had this model of meeting on the first day. And and some people would say, well, it still stands six days and one day for rest. And And I still struggle a little bit. The New Testament doesn't press you in that way. But it does seem to model something. God seems to be showing us something. 
We need time for worship and rest. Our bodies need time to, to, to do that, to experience that. And so I think we have to say, look, at the end of the day, we are commanded by God to come to worship regularly. We are to gather together with the people of God regularly. And, and really, we're following a pattern from generation after generation to meet on the first day of the week to come together and to have in that moment also a time where you rest from your labor, that you rest at your body and you rest as a family and all those things. And I think they're extremely valuable. So I think at the heart of it, we need to kind of rethink that in our culture because we've lost that as a people. Many people never take any time, and I think it really does do something to you. When you don't make a priority of gathering with the people of God and to think about your Creator and Redeemer, and you don't make it a priority to be still and to rest in God and what He's done and to rest from your labor, I think it costs us greatly. So I think we need to really think about what's taking place there. And the next thing I want to say, and this is kind of, we're going to finish out with this is there is a sense, and we saw it in Hebrews, where we are to live a lifestyle of rest. We are to live a lifestyle of resting in God. In John chapter 19, this is what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. And He gave up His life and His Spirit at that moment. What He was saying is, the work of redemption is finished. The work of salvation is finished. I have finished that work and he could stop now. He could cease carrying that burden. Jesus finished everything we needed to be saved from our sin. He finished that on the cross. He said, it is finished. And the Scripture tells us in Romans 5 that we have, by faith, we enter into a relationship where we have peace with God, with Christ, because we go through Him. That's what Romans 5 tells us. Matthew 11, Jesus spoke of this even before He died. He says, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon Me and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What Jesus is saying is that more than just a day, there is a Sabbath rest that you enter into when you trust in Him. When you run after Him. When you abandon your sins and trust wholly in Jesus, there is a Sabbath rest that comes. There is something about being at peace with Jesus that brings you into a right relationship with God. It's important that we see that. But here's the thing. In this present life, you're going to always struggle with that restlessness. You're going to always struggle with weakness. And so what we do is, I think one of the valuable things for the church is we get together and we hear people say, Jesus is the, He finished it. He accomplished it. He brought rest. Even when I feel restless in this world, Jesus has done that. I need to hear that. And I also need, as I'm gathering together with the people of God, to hear someone say, Jesus has finished it and one day I'll rest eternally. Jesus has accomplished that for us. We need to hear that about the final rest. We're in between. There's a sense in which I experience Jesus' rest, but I'm longing to experience it in its fullness. That is the life that we live. So the question for us today is, have you really entered in? Have you really entered into that rest? Have you really come to a knowledge of Christ? 
Have you come to believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus is the way back to God. Jesus is where blessing is found. What He did for us by dying on the cross, taking our sin, and giving us His righteousness, it's enough. It satisfied God. It brings rest to your soul. Have you really experienced that? When you have, there's a longing for Jesus and a love for Jesus and a longing to live for Jesus. Are you daily seeking to enter into that more fully? Do you make time for the Lord in your life? Are you setting aside time on a daily basis to reflect on what He's done? Is that a joy to you to know and experiencing Him? Have you made it a central part of your life to to set aside time to come and regularly worship? To come and regularly hear the truth about, about the Lord and what He has done for us? Have you done that? Have you made an opportunity for that? Or is it just another day, another little part of your schedule? Are you really enjoying and, and, and really savoring Christ on this day? And I just one last thing I just want you to kind of think about. It's what is hindering you from really experiencing like the fullness of joy in Christ? Is it your sin? What sins are, are you holding on to that causes you to feel restless? That you have not laid aside those burdens and all that sin that entangles you, as Hebrews says, and, and, and ran to Christ? What, what are you doing that is causing you to feel not at peace with God personally? You need to lay aside that sin. What, what things in your life right now are you doing where you're just so worried? Have you ever worried like crazy? Just worry, 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 worry? Because you're not resting in what Jesus has done for you. You're not resting in that the future is bright for you if you are in Christ. Wherever you find yourself today, you need to run back to these truths. We need to hear that again. We need to go know that God is, is a God who is complete and brings completion both in creation and in our salvation. And we need to run to Him. Whatever's robbing you of finding your satisfaction in the Lord, you need to repent. We need to trust Him afresh. And we need to enter into what He has called us to. A Sabbath rest for His people. It is a joy unspeakable. And as we wait for that day where we enter into the fullness of it, I pray as a church that we would challenge one another to grow. To grow in our love for the Lord. To grow in our rest in Him. To grow in our faith and, and, and grow in a knowledge of Him. And so let's pray together as we conclude today. Father, I just thank You. I thank You that You have given to us a rest that is beyond our comprehension. I thank You that You have brought us into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus where our souls can be at rest where we can have confidence for today and our future, where we don't have to strive any longer to try to make you happy with us, but that we can trust in the finished work of the cross. Lord, I pray for this church that we would be a people who would regularly think about that. That we would gather with one another and remind one another of it. Lord, I just pray that if there's some here today who have never really known Jesus, 
who've never seen what He has done for them. Lord, I just pray that You would open their eyes to see. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.